Hi, and welcome to In Conversation, an interview series exploring creativity, diaspora, and transformation. I am Reshma Razvi, a producer and media maker inspired by the character of Shahrazad in 1001 Nights and her storytelling resistance. So I started the Shahrazad Squad. Join me as I talk to some of these Sherazads with a small s, the women and non-binary creatives, cultural producers, and change agents, each engaged in transformational work. After all, stories plus sisterhood save the kingdom. It's springtime. Are you stopping to smell the flowers? Well, today's guest, Barnali Ghosh, goes well beyond that. In her latest project, Unfaithful Recreations Floral Edition, Flower Cosplay, Howard by Saris and Odyssey Dance. Barnali Ghosh is a designer, artist, storyteller, and transportation justice advocate based in Berkeley, California. Her work attempts to bridge homes and homelands and create spaces for belonging. She co-founded the award-winning Berkeley South Asian Radical History Walking Tour, which uses storytelling and theater to share narratives of local South Asian American resistance movements, from immigrant freedom fighters in the 1910s to queer and feminist organizing a century later. Bernali's latest project is a series of photographic self-portraits that highlight the beauty of California's native flowers and the fabrics of South Asia. During this episode, you'll hear us describe some of the photos from this project. What would be a contrast then to the poppy? It's prickly pear. So with this one, I played with the idea of vulnerability and surrender. I remember from one of my theater classes when we were doing this quick exercise on an emotion and you had to sort of pose in a certain way to capture that emotion. And one of the prompts was vulnerability. All of us, except one person, all of us went into a child pose. But this one person in class just opened themselves up. That's what true vulnerability is. It's not the fear and not the protecting yourself, but really the opening yourself up. So when I think of a prickly pear, you have this gorgeous flower, but it's surrounded by these thorns. To me, that's what this journey has been like in some ways. You're allowed to be afraid. You're allowed to protect yourself, but you have to be so careful that doesn't lead to you hiding who you are. You also have to find a way to express yourself and to be brave and courageous. And sometimes that means putting some thorns around you in order to be able to bloom. So I picked up that feeling and that idea and what I was going through. And so you see the pose in there is one of surrender. We have a ritual before we start dance. We ask forgiveness from the earth for stomping on it. What it means to ask for forgiveness and how to be part of the earth and with the earth. 
So my name is uh, Bernali Ghosh. I'm based in Berkeley, California, Ohlone land. And I moved here over 20 years ago from Bangalore, India, which is where I grew up. My family, though, is from West Bengal, from Kolkata. And my dad's from a small town outside of Kolkata called Uttarpara. But when I think of home, I think of Bangalore and Berkeley. I think as we talk about the project, it'll be clear that when I say home, my tendency is still to say India or Bangalore, but that's a very unnerving feeling to live somewhere for 20 years and not be able to call it home. So I think that's been, I think, a continuous struggle for me personally. And that struggle basically shows up in, in all my projects in all of the work that I do, that's a continuous theme, as it is for many immigrants, trying to do it through my own lens and not just struggle with it, but end up trying to create some sense of belonging. Because without that, it's kind of a sad life. <laughs> One of the things in relationship to childhood and the project you're doing now is the sense of play and dress up. When I started seeing these pictures come out, I was like, oh, we're in all these fucking dress up and these amazing <laughs> <laughs> I know, finally. Finally, yeah. able to play dress up. So how did you start dressing up like flowers? Strangely, when I was a kid, I never enjoyed dressing up. Even as I grew into a teenager, I used to put makeup on my mom while she was sleeping. Like she would get out like, <laughs> eyeliner and lipstick. You know? But I, I was never the kid who was wearing my mother's shoes or trying on her makeup on myself. And I think part of the discomfort with body meant that for a long time, I wore beige clothes, big shirts. I was not comfortable with the feminine part of me at all. And that continued for many years, even though I think many people would look at me and be like, oh, you're pretty femme. But that's not how I felt on the inside. And I think the first time that I started to explore that was when I started learning ODC. That form, those poses that I use in the dress up, that's what adds really the emotional component to it. Odissi is a dance form that's from the eastern part of India, from the state of Orissa. It was a dance form whose evolution was disrupted during British rule, like other dance forms in India, like Bharatanatyam as well. And it was almost reinvented, recreated by different gurus, the most known and whose lineage I learned, Guru Kiluchar and Mahabhatra. And it's based on the temple sculptures that you see on Hindu temples. I saw it in 1999, just before I moved here at a place called Mrityagram, just outside of Bangalore. And it was this amazing all-night music festival and at dawn was when Odissi was performed by Bijani and Surupa. And I was just mesmerized. I didn't know what I was watching. And that idea that there's something that is so moving, it stuck with me. And so when I moved here and I was in grad school, I didn't have any time for anything else. But then soon after, I started asking my friends, do you know about this dance? 
Does anybody teach it here? I found through a friend, Japanese American teacher who herself had started learning at an older age, who had moved from Japan to Orissa to learn, and she was teaching in Berkeley. And it was it's a very Berkeley kind of story in some ways. And this was over 15 years ago. And I studied with her for four years. I found it very uncomfortable because again, I had not dealt with whether I was fit enough, whether I could move in a certain way, but I loved it. And it really sort of pushed me to think about like how my body is from a femme perspective and not to be shy of being femme in a particular way, in a sensual way. She would unfortunately die of cancer four years in. And so after she died, I tried a few different teachers. It didn't work out. And so I stopped learning for 10 years and then finally found another guru who, in fact, used to perform with my teacher. His name is Vishnu Tatvadas. So somehow I found the courage, even though my knees were hurting, to sort of go back to class. I don't call myself a dancer. I always call myself a student of dance. But that plays a big part in me doing these flower recreations. I think after a year of the pandemic, just being outside and being in nature, walking the streets of Berkeley and taking photos of flowers and leaves and trees was something that I was already doing. But then because my imagination was so tuned to matching forms and colors, Mm. I was walking in Berkeley and seeing this wisteria in full bloom. They were calling it wisteria hysteria because there was so much wisteria around and gorgeous smell. And I was like, wait a minute. I have a sari that looks exactly like this color of the wisteria. So I came back home and I was like, okay, I'm going to try. I've been doing the artworks. Let me try the wisteria. And I thought it would be a one-off. But then when I did the California poppy, which is the California state flower, I did that on the day I got my vaccine. Because I was like, oh, I want to do something to sort of mark this moment. And, you know, also vaccines are still so hard to get for most of the world. I just felt really thankful. And I posted it on the California Native Plant Society Facebook group. And it took off. And then I didn't stop basically after that. I love, well, I love poppies too. And I want to see if we could look at that one a little more closely. You start to see the details uh, inside of the poppy being a different orange than the outside. So that's what I tried to capture in this one, for example, where you have the sari, but then you also have this raw silk scarf that is a different orange that you're trying to evoke. And then, of course, the green of the poppy is just gorgeous. I love the color combination, too, because I think that's it's also very Indian to just comfortably yeah. put these colors together that yes. you see in other traditions, you know, like the green and the red and the green and the orange, right? So some of these pieces that you're wearing, they held some memories for you. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Those are the saris I love the most, are saris that have been handed down to me. It does make me sad because some of them are handed down only when the person passes away. So then it's quite an emotional thing to put it on. I have this blouse from my grandmother that is loose on me, but I never tighten it because I feel like that was the shape of her body Mm. when she was wearing it. And when I wear it, even though it's loose on me, that makes me feel like to somebody, it might be like, why are you wearing this sort of blouse that doesn't fit you? But that's not why I'm wearing it. So I leave it in the shape of her. That's what makes me feel close to her. Like the sari I use for the rose is from my mom's wedding. I love it. It's some kind of linen or cotton, I don't even know. 
it's gorgeous, but I'll never be able to wear it as a sari because it's falling apart. So I feel very happy that I could take something like that, put it on display, take that picture, and at least preserve the memory of it and have it be seen by the world in a different context. Some of them, are, you know, are just literally have been sitting around like the sari I'm wearing. That was the first time I broke it open. I love the color. But saris like this require storage. They require stitching at the bottom to protect the borders. And that's just not something I would do here or so I would never wear a sari like that. But that's also why it's so poofy because it is starched. And tell me about the pose right here. Yeah, so in this one, it's looking into a mirror. So that's the Odissi pose that it's evoking. But also, most of my inspiration for this was just the shape of the poppy. So if you were to turn the poppy, you would see this asymmetrical, the way the petals are placed. So I was trying to capture that form. But also, I think in imagination, it's as if the poppy is dancing. And I, I think that comes up in a lot of the flower poses as well. Like, what mm -hmm. if these flowers were dancing around us? What emotion would it evoke? Right. And so you're in, in some ways channeling the different, I don't know, motions through your interpretation of the flower right. movements. Right. And yeah, yeah. Oh, I love that. That's so beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> and it's more obvious when you compare the different flower images, when you start seeing the differences and why it makes sense for that flower. Basically, these months, you're stuck at home with Anurban, your husband. You're, I just have all the suitcases open and just pulling out all your fabrics and your right. and you're holding them. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I mean, I never thought I would do art where my body would be so central to it. I think having your more authentic self or your real self as real as it can be with like makeup and hair and, and all of that. When you've grown up hearing that you're ugly or you're fat or you're darker skinned or you don't have good skin, that's what I grew up hearing about myself. So it's a little surreal to have an image be out there and be told that not only is the image beautiful, but you're beautiful. I'm like, who are you talking about? I was quite taken aback by the reaction because that is not something I had grown up hearing. Being in the US where, as you know, brown bodies are not necessarily seen is beautiful or the other side of it is exoticized that was also something I was afraid of that I would be putting myself out there and the kind of comments I would get might be more about exoticizing me I have not gotten that maybe the language and the culture has shifted enough that at least people don't say it they're able to comment without saying anything about you being exotic and the irony in that, of course, is that native plants in native plant culture, plants that are non-native are often referred to as exotic and invasive. Let's talk saris and fabric for a minute, because, you know, I think yeah. Indian women have such a strong connection, many yeah. do to these yeah. clothes. I know I find for me that I don't wear saris even regularly, but I love this new context and this new pairing. And I think that it's such a great act of imagination itself, you know, to take something that it's like oak oh, for this occasion or is tied right. to this specific tradition in India or yeah. is for this or that, you know, and, yeah. and things get kind of stuffed away in our closets mm -hmm. and our suitcases mm -hmm. and they seem to be kind of like shriveled up and kind of annoying. Yeah. I feel yeah. sometimes. Yeah. You know? Yeah. I didn't pay as much attention to that being something different until I moved here <laughs> because in India, women do wear saris on a daily basis from the 
person who's a laborer on a job on a construction site to somebody riding a bicycle wearing a sari. Like when my mom-in-law went to college, their school outfit. And then when they went to college, they wore saris. So for me, saris were not intimidating. I think a lot of that had to do with the type of fabrics I was wearing. I find that the type of fabrics you get while growing up in India, the cottons and the silks, especially South Indian cotton, is very easy to drape. Whereas I find here a lot of people wear georgettes or things that are more slippery. And I think that creates a sense of fragility or something that it's going to come apart. Mm-hmm. Like you can't trust the drape. And I remember once talking to my mom about using some saris. I was like, I might use these for like curtains or something. And she was like, don't no. ever. You know? <laughs> I have the same reaction. And I, you know, I used to have that too until I realized like, but then I'll at least I'll see it. And then I'll yeah. at least appreciate it every day. And I, you know, yeah. I think it's a tough thing. This connection to both something that you love in terms of the sari and then also the uh, the flowers. Maybe talk about your relationship to the clothes and then also being right. home here and home there. How the fabrics and the clothes facilitate those questions and that tension that you were talking about. I started wearing saris that were more like everyday saris, more ordinary saris. So then I started wearing saris, going to San Francisco, taking bus and BART, walking on the street, just normalizing the act of wearing a sari. So the tips and tricks that I've used is I moved to wearing crop tops instead of wearing blouses. And the crop top helped a lot because it also fits, right? It fits better than a blouse that has not been custom designed for you or that you're losing or gaining weight and it makes you feel weird. I also started wearing boots with my saris and not sandals or slip-ons because I was trying to balance again this femininity but also this feeling of what makes me feel stable and strong is when I'm wearing boots. So I wear the boots, I wear the sari and... I feel like I can conquer the world. And of course, if you look on Instagram, even there's women doing somersaults and saris. So there's really no end. Like the sari is not an excuse to not do certain things. And I really tried to internalize that. But that also, I was like, okay, is is this okay? Is this okay for me to do? What will my mother think, right? What will the auntie think? What will all these people think? What Um, do your mother think? I think. The funny part is, she is the one who always told me, oh, you would be, you would be perfect if only you lost your tummy. Oh, you would be perfect if only you did this face mask routine. She likes taking care of herself. I don't. So, of course, when she would see the images, she's like, oh, you should have done this one like that. You know, so there's always trying to make you better without realizing that they're trying to make you better Often, all that does is shred your confidence. Thankfully, I didn't share it with her directly. She's also on the Native Plant Society Facebook group. So I think the overwhelming support and comments from all those people made her just, in the end, mostly proud. She's like, oh, I want to give you all the saris I have. You're doing this project. It's so beautiful. How do you think about these? So it's it's a... It thankfully has been a lot of that, but I think some of it has to do also with the external validation that I was getting. But sometimes she can't help herself and she'd be like, oh, you should have done this one in that way. All of our Indian moms are always doing that. So (laughs) it's not good. My friends who have daughters, I've had conversations with them about not speaking to your daughters in that way, because having been on the other side of it, it takes decades to get over stuff like that. 
And it prevents you from doing so much in your life because you're so concerned with how you look or how you present yourself. Right. Um, and it becomes a kind of a performance and a, a kind of perfectionism yeah. and right. all that. Yeah. Um, yeah. What I love about your pictures is to me that they're not perfect. They're not like... Exactly. I mean, it's just conceptually so strong. You could have been like, all right, it's going to be studio lighting and this right. thing. Right. And it's been easy to kind of... Yeah. But yeah. I, yeah. I sort of like that it doesn't go there. It's very DIY. Yeah. It's like sketches. It's an exploration. Mm -hmm. But it still looks effortless. And I think some of the greatest art is art mm -hmm. that is effortless it's not in the messaging or in the creating of it it's not so tortured and i love that it looks mm. effortless that anybody could actually do it but of course not everybody can do it but it does encourage us to play and to be inspired by the colors i think more and more it's about lessening those burdens both yeah ones yeah. the burdens ancestrally whether it's certain voices that are critical Right. Or some of those pressures then that we put on ourselves. And yeah. I think too, the pressures in this country and culture to make everything make sense right away and go somewhere and have a yeah. reason yeah. Or for sale or whatever that might look like. Yeah. And, yeah. and it seems like you took your time to just be in it and play with it for your own reasons. It's definitely a privilege to be able to do that. I do think about that a lot, but I did it because it was making me happy. And when I shared it, the fact that it was making other people happy made me happy, but I didn't necessarily do it for them. I feel like I've already gotten what I needed from doing this project and seeing it up in a gallery is great. People were asking for calendars. I was very hesitant because I don't like creating stuff. Ended up doing it and people really came through and now like I'm on the walls of people's houses or offices. The serious part of it that I've been thinking about, both with Odyssey and sari weaving and with say native flowers or indigenous landscapes is colonialism disrupting all of these so for instance like cotton and weaving the culture of weaving in india was very much destroyed by the british and that's something we're still recovering from so finding handloom saris is quite challenging i do use saris that are machine made and that's fine but when i look at the older saris it stuns me how we don't have that art and skill anymore, that we don't support that art and skill anymore. Mm -hmm. So in some ways, these are like really precious pieces of culture. It's like when you lose a language, I mean, there's a certain language in the color combinations and the embroidery and the weaving that was just very disrupted by colonialism. And the whole cotton trade connected to slavery in the US, industrialization in the UK, and cotton being exported from India to the mills in the UK and not being woven. Odissi brings me so much joy. These native flowers bring me so much joy. Saris bring me so much joy. And yet all of them were impacted by colonialism. The serious part of this project is just the recovering of those memories and the awareness that we have lost something and we don't even know what we've lost yet. And that's why also when I was doing the calendar, I felt like it made sense to then give part of the proceeds to Sagarayate Land Trust, which is one of the most active groups in the Bay Area and an indigenous land trust. But I also chose to keep some of the money for myself because as an artist, you should get paid. California Native Plant Society, which is working on the preservation and education around native plants. So part of the proceeds went to them. But then you have to also balance it, balance it with giving to organizations like Sagarayate. I think that a lot of this has also been about 
balancing the sense of an immigrant belonging with also our relationships with indigenous people who exist among us. So through the walking tour, especially through the street renaming, and also through the flower project, it has been about sort of healing that relationship, right? So when somebody calls you exotic or invasive, if it's a white person, that's a very different feeling. But if it's talking about indigeneity and ecosystems, that's something we all have to learn about is is why are indigenous landscapes important? Why are native flowers and planting more native flowers and plants important? I feel like many of us are kept away from it because we have the sense of, well, what does that mean for somebody like me who's an immigrant, who's not native? Am I still allowed to participate in this world, right? So it brings up a lot of those questions, but I think our effort with all of these projects is to find collective healing, whether you're healing from British colonialism or the way America was formed. The two sort of extremes I see is where either we hold our trauma supreme or we are supporting indigenous folks and push our trauma aside. And what we're trying to do is say, how do you hold both together and heal together? Thank you for listening. That was artist, storyteller, and advocate Barnali Ghosh. You can see her work on Instagram at Berkeleywali, that's Berkeley, W-A-L-I, and at Berkeley South Asian. Prints, posters, and any calendar she might have left are available at her website, www.barnaligosh.art. Also experimenting and exploring ethical ways to create art, be in community with people. It's not perfect, but it is trying to do things differently. If you're interested in joining the squad, and if you identify as a Swanasa, woman, non-binary, creative, cultural producer, or change agent, you can find information on our website, shawrazadsquad.org. Did I mention we have some wonderful conversation cards available for purchase? These artist-designed cards feature fun and meaningful prompts that connect small groups of people. They're a great way to learn more about the people in your life and share stories. Each deck is $25 and fully goes to support squad activities and continue our project. You can find the link in the notes or again on our website. I produced the episode and it was edited and mixed by the wonderful Sonia Mermand. That was beautiful and I was actually like crying. The theme music is by squad member Naima Shalhoub. Special music in this episode was by Pandit Bikari Bal and Pandit Raghunath Panigrahi. The squad is executive produced by Cal Shakes and funded in part by the Doris Duke Foundation for Islamic Art. We thank our supporters, our funders, and you, our listeners. Thanks for your support, and thanks again for listening. Stay tuned for our next episode. Bye.